Hi, this is Chad, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. It will play in just a moment. But before it does, I want to ask three things of you. First, if you find this sermon impactful, would you please let us know about it by emailing us at respond at creekside.me. We would find that extremely encouraging and helpful in our planning. Second, please consider sharing this content with someone else if you found it valuable. And third, if you are listening to this on a podcast host, please hit subscribe. This will let you know about future sermons and it helps our sermons be heard by more people, something we think is really important. Thanks again for listening. I hope that the sermon will help you learn and live more fully for Jesus. When I was in college, I went through this weird time. I can't even explain this to you, but I was scared that I would be killed someday uh, through being stoned to death. And I don't mean like smoking weed because I said I was scared I was stoned to death and people were like, well, just don't smoke weed. Uh, But no, like having rocks thrown at me. And I don't know if I saw some like, you've seen movies like this if you grew up in the church, like some scary Christian movie about the apocalypse. And I thought that I was going to have to uh, die or if I had, I did see a movie once where they they selected one person by lottery every year, and then they just killed them by throwing stones at them. It was a TV movie. Uh, I, I don't know where it came from, but I was, I was scared that, that someday I would die by being stoned. And I pictured that I would be somewhere else in the world, not in our country, and I would be talking about Jesus or something, and then... I would be killed by having rocks thrown at me. I even got to the point where I had internal debates on whether or not if you break free when getting stoned for your faith in Jesus, if you were able to throw the rocks back. Um, I used to debate this in my head, like what's the protocol? What's the Christian response? I have a pretty good arm. I played college baseball and I just thought, what, what do you do in that situation? Where is, is self-defense okay when you're a Christian missionary? Like, hey, you threw the first stone and I'm going to throw the second one. Uh, That's how like real it was to me for a short period in life. And uh, as we face this election and we think about the next president, I am well aware that many of you are scared. Maybe not that you'll be killed for your faith, but you're scared for a lot of reasons. Um, whether you vote for one candidate or the other. And last week I talked, and, and I was really fired up to talk last week, and I, I think I, somebody said to me afterwards, I, I've never been told I was wrong so many times in a sermon before. And, uh, and we are wrong in how we are approaching politics in our country and how we respond to government as Christians. If you're not a Christian, then uh, you can do it however you want to do it. I don't care. Uh, but as Christians, we're wrong in how we have responded to the political climate, and how we often respond to government. And I think that the reason that we get it so wrong is perhaps because we've forgotten what we'll see in our passage today, and we are scared. I think we're scared. And we get so mad at the other people who don't vote the right way, because if they vote the wrong way, 
then it's bad for us. It hurts us. Then our country is going to go in the wrong direction. I think that most of us, whether you're Democrat or Republican, we love the United States of America. Now, I, I don't usually, if you're a visitor, have the flag out on stage. In fact, we, we take it off stage when we get here in the mornings because we serve Jesus. We're citizens of heaven. We like our country, um, but we love our God. We serve our country, but our true devotion is to the king of kings and not a president or a government or, or even a nation. Uh, but today I want to have it out here because... It is a reminder, I think, of what scares us so badly and what makes us do it so wrong. And that is that in our country, forever, we have had incredible freedom. And we think that if you vote the wrong way, we are going to lose some of those freedoms. Now, maybe that's just the freedom of peace because in our country, except for very rare moments in our history, you pretty much, you go to work, you come home, you're not scared that you're going to get shot or bombed or anything like that. It, it might be that you fear the freedom of being able to make money and you fear that capitalism is going to go away if we continue to vote a certain way. It might be that you fear that uh, that our, our rights are going to be taken in other ways. It might be that you fear that our police are getting too strong. That's a common fear for a lot of people, especially African-American people in our country, and their freedoms are being taken away. And uh, there's a whole list of things that we could go down, but I think it all boils down to we are scared that what this flag has stood for, for so long, is going to be ripped out from underneath us. And so when we talk politics, we're talking about something bigger than just a candidate getting elected. When we think about government, it goes beyond just my guy won or my guy didn't win, it, it touches our very souls in a scary way because it causes us to fear that, that what our flag has stood for, it's no longer going to stand for. And, and we, this is where I think it always comes back to me, if we're being totally honest, me, I, I am going to be hurt in some ways. If we're being honest, I think most of us vote because, not always, but most of us vote at least a little bit because of what we stand to gain or not gain. Uh, that's not always true, I know that, but a lot of times that factors in. But we fear that what this stands for will be taken from us. Now here's the other thing that makes it really difficult. We live in a democracy. We are a democratic republic and so it seems that when you cast your vote you are in fact doing something that matters on a very grand scale now we all know it matters go vote uh, but we think in our heads that we are choosing our own fate if we get this wrong then we are ruining our country if more of them come out to vote than us then our country will be ruined and it will be our faults this is a new pressure that the world has not really experienced on this grand of scale in the history of the world 
And for a long time in our country, it's been really easy because if you're a Christian, there was always pretty clear right side to be on. And you thought most of the time, even if you lost, it was going to be somebody who thought kind of like Christians and was kind of favorable to Christians. The worst that you could do before was if you got a Catholic in there, you know, and and then that would be the end of the world. But now, I think a lot of Christians look and they say, that person, maybe that person too, doesn't stand for what I stand for, what we stand for. And if we get this wrong, Christianity is no longer going to be a freedom that we enjoy in our country. But it all falls on us in our heads. And we think if they mess it up and get this wrong, then on November 6th, well, we have a few months after that until we have a, a new president. But, but it's all downhill because, you know, 51% or a little over 50% of people in our country messed up. And so now, because of us, our freedoms are going to be taken away. And you can see how that makes us want to yell at people. Like, well, you're dumb. You're ruining our country. You know, I mean, if you would just think like me and be like me and vote like me, then everything would be okay, but you're going to be the reason that I no longer have my freedoms, and eventually it might be the lack of freedom to, to serve and love and live for Jesus in the way that I want to without being persecuted. Do you feel a little bit of that? Just a little, maybe, in our current culture? And this morning, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture that I think It's a really hard one, just to be honest with you. I was like online trying to figure out what I was saying still this morning. Uh, And if you know me, my sermons are usually done on Thursday. uh, And I was still online this morning trying to figure out what exactly needed to be said to demonstrate and teach this passage in the right way. But no matter if I get it wrong or right this morning, if if I'm perfect or not, this passage of Scripture says something that is super difficult, but extremely important and pretty radical given what the early Christians who it was written to were facing and perhaps even more radical given that we live in a democratic republic in the United States of America. Now, before we get to this passage, there was this internal debate going on in the church uh, when Paul wrote the letter of Romans, which contains this section that we'll look at this morning. And, and it was like this. Uh, the Jewish zealot movement was strong and it was getting stronger. Last week I said that in 66 AD there would be a revolt that Jewish people would mint their own coins, that they would have their own currency, and that they would rebel against Rome specifically through not paying taxes anymore. And then in 70 AD that's just going to be just quenched, it's going to be torn down, they're going to lose. The Jews are going to lose. And all of Jerusalem is going to be decimated, it's going to be destroyed. Romans is written not long before that. You can imagine the political climate for Christians who are really asking this deep question. Do we go with the zealot movement? Do we become zealots ourselves and try to throw off the, the reign of the Romans? 
which doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem in line with what Jesus said about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. Or do we side with this evil, heathen nation called Rome? What do we do with that? Should Christians align with the coming revolution or should they align with evil Rome? That's a difficult question, right? I mean, that's a hard one to know. Along with that, some early Christians went to extremes when it came to living out their faith. Now, we should all go to extremes to live for Jesus. But when it came to institutions that weren't the church, some Christians went to extremes. One of the big examples is that some early Christians thought we should no longer get married because that's just a worldly type thing and we're here for Jesus and so let's chuck the idea the institution of marriage all together and part of this wrapped up in this was we don't owe anything to Rome because we serve God our citizenship is no longer in Rome. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so therefore we will, we will serve heaven. We will serve God. We will do what he wants us to do. But we're not going to listen to these guys because they are not the ones that we serve. And there's this other thing wrapped up in this when Paul writes. Paul serves the same person that I serve, his name is Jesus. And Jesus had died at the hands of the Roman government. Now think about that. We're Christians, that means we're Christ followers. And our Savior died at the hands of governmental authorities. And do we serve them? What role do they play in our lives when they killed the one that we love? For a lot of us, our best friend, our savior. And then this, Paul himself, as he writes this, you need to, this is mind-blowing when you think about what he says next. Paul would have some positive interactions with the Roman government in his life. But ultimately, Paul will spend a lot of time in prison just for telling people about Jesus. And then he will be killed because of his faith in Christ, and he will die at the hands of the Roman government. Now that's the setup. And here's what Paul says in Romans 13, verse 1 Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. This word be subject is a word that usually is translated submit, uh, a Greek word that is usually translated submit, and it's used. Uh, pretty commonly in the Bible, it's used for uh, Christian wives submitting to their husbands, us in a church setting submitting to one another, slaves submitting to their masters. It's not just about obedience. It's really about lowering yourself underneath another person or in this case, governmental authorities. That's what it means. Now, let's just be clear. It's right up front. This means that most often, 99.9% .9 of the time, you should obey the laws of the land. That's just right to the point, right at the heart of this passage, is you should obey the laws of the land. Even when, by the way, nobody else is obeying the laws of the land. I read this book called Freakonomics, and in it, uh, he, he talks about how we should want 
more people to be audited by the IRS. That doesn't pique your interest, nothing will. Uh, and his point was, most of us don't cheat, but some do. And he, he, he gave this data that was really interesting. And the data was that the year after the IRS said you had to put the social security number for your children on your tax document, America went down by like 250,000 children. In quotes, because people were just saying, yeah, I got four kids, like, hey. But when you needed to list their social security numbers, then it, uh, they, those kids went away. And that illustrates what we, what we know, that sometimes when everybody is disobeying laws, then it's easy for us to think we don't need to. I remember being in a, it was my homiletics preaching class in college, and I don't remember what we were talking about or how we got onto this subject, but this one kid said, I didn't know, it was a sub, we were talking about guilt when you're preaching and how sinless or sinful you can be when you get up, I think, on a stage and preach the word of God. And this, this one student, I don't, I don't remember who this kid was. I didn't even know this kid while we were in class, and I knew pretty much everybody in that class. But he said, it's like, yeah, like sometimes I feel so guilty because like, Sometimes I speed when I'm driving and, oh, and me and the professor, who's one of the most awesome men you'll ever meet, we looked at each other like, oh, we're wretched humans. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is bad, man. Like, we were thinking, you know, big sins, not that. Uh, and I think, and I've been trying this week, it's hard because you make a lot of people mad, but I think this tells us that we ought to go the speed limit. We ought to pay our taxes fairly, even if it doesn't seem like anybody will ever catch us. We ought to do the things that our government tells us to do. Uh, that's what I think this says. No, I don't think it says that. That's what it tells us, that we should lower ourselves underneath our government and live out the laws of the land. Now, in three weeks, we're gonna talk about the limitations of that. So let me just give you a preview, a short version. We'll talk about it for 45 minutes in a few weeks. But right now, if the government says to disobey God, then don't do what the government says. And if the government says not to do something that God has told you to do, that's still disobeying. But you could say, well, if the government says to kill somebody, you don't kill somebody. And you can also say that if the government says not to tell people about Jesus, you still tell people about Jesus. One is passive and, and one is active. Uh, so there's the short version. We'll hash that out because there's a lot of issues that are wrapped up in, in just that topic. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But, but right now, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, and I could just about 100% of the time in our country, uh, but not, but just about, obey the laws that have been given to you by the government. I know your thought, like, well, that's not that big of a deal. Like, come on, this is, is this what this sermon's about? No, it's not. Uh, but listen to what it says next because it gets more serious. Ready? Uh, For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Let's read it again because it's so straightforward. It presents a million different problems. It feels wrong to us. It's very difficult to preach on. I can tell you that. But this is what it says. For there is no authority 
except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now I want you to first notice the repetition. God has established and they have been established by God. Now when you are thinking through theology or the Bible, it's really important that you say, okay, well, here's one verse, but is there anything else to support this verse in the Bible, right? Because if you just pull one verse out of scripture, then, then you could just make the Bible do almost anything you want it to do. But when you look at the whole of scripture and you begin to find other places that seem to say the same thing, that's when theology is produced systematically and you begin to say, okay, this, this seems to be what God is saying to me through his word, through his messenger Paul in this case. Full disclosure, there's one verse in the book of Hosea and maybe a couple others that seem to maybe say something other than every government has been established by God. But the whole of scripture seems to support what Paul has said here in plain, simple, straightforward language. There is no authority talking about government except that which God has established. Listen to Proverbs 8, 15 and 16. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule the earth. Isaiah 44, 28, talking about Cyrus and how he'll reign someday. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please? God. God says this about a foreign non-God-fearing person. This is my shepherd that will do what I want him to do. In Daniel 4, 17, it says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. There's this crazy story in the book of Daniel about King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar looks out over the land and says, I've done it. I have accomplished so much. Look at my kingdom. I'm awesome. This is not a God-fearing person. So it's a normal thing to say. It's like any rich or famous person in our country going, look how many sweet cars I have. Look at all the fame I have. Look at how many people want to be like me when they grow up. This is what Nebuchadnezzar does. And God strikes him mentally ill. He goes out and lives in a forest for six years until God fixes him and he comes back and says, now I know that God has given me this government. It's a crazy story. In Romans 9, 17, it says this, for scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I may display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh was cruel. He was mean. He oppressed the people of God. And Romans 9, 17 says about God, I raised you up for this purpose. Or this 
perhaps most staggering of verses, Jesus is about to be killed at the hands of the Roman government and a guy named Pilate cannot understand why Jesus will not talk to him in any type of logical way. Why Jesus isn't pleading his case. Why Jesus isn't on his knees begging saying, please, 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 please let me live. He says, don't you know I have the power to have you killed? And Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Do you see what this verse suggests? It suggests that God picks our president, not you. Now this leads to some of the most difficult questions that we can ever ask of the Bible. It in fact points to questions that I can't give you a great answer to. And I think I'm afraid to give you an answer because I feel almost a need when I read this passage to defend God. Because every interpretation almost of this passage that's been, uh, when it's been written about since 1945 have included this kind of question. What about Hitler? And it's a question that the first time on Mondays when I wake up and I read the verse, not the first time I read the verse, but when I read it from a preaching perspective on Monday and I don't have any commentary in front of me and I don't know anything more than what you know, I just go, I was just like, what about Hitler? What about Hitler? What about Hitler? In fact, I asked this so many times in my head that I thought, I bet if I Google what about Hitler, that this verse will come up. Uh, that, and so I, I tried, what about Hitler? And as it turns out, it's not uh, this verse. But the first two things that pop up are about Christianity and what Christianity thinks of Hitler. The very first two things on all the whole wide uh, world web are, are about Christians. But I thought, man, this is the logical question. What about Hitler? I don't know. What I do know is that when we see in Scripture these references to God giving us government, it is pretty clear that in all of that, He is working those governments unto His purposes. Another really important thing to remember is this. God does not approve, this is quite clear in scripture, God does not approve of the actions of many governments and their leaders. It isn't as if we can say, well, God gave us that government and so God must have liked what they were doing. That's completely clear in scripture that he hates many of the actions of governments. There's this other thing that is really, really important, and that is this, that despite God giving us government, it doesn't mean that government doesn't have choices to make in free will within how they govern. All of us, including our president and all of the emperors who have reigned, are still responsible for their actions. God does not lead people to do evil. Our flesh leads us to do evil and Satan leads us to do evil. God may have picked Hitler, but he did not start the Holocaust. 
That is quite clear when you read scripture. Nor did he approve of the Holocaust. That is also quite clear when you read scripture. But the question still hangs, right? What, why Hitler? Why? Why Stalin? Why Nero? Who reigns during the time of Paul, who we'll talk about in just a second. I don't know. I don't know. And there's a small chance that I'm wrong, but every single commentary that I went to, uh, that I respect, said the same thing over and over. There is no qualifications on this passage. It is telling us that if government exists, God has given them their authority. Now, I found some things. Let me just tell you what people do. This is what people do to get around it. Some say Paul didn't write this passage of Scripture. They say that later, men rose up. They wanted to make Christians support government, and so they wrote a little thing. They shoved it into our Scripture, and they said, there you go. You need to listen to what these emperors are telling you to do. I can't believe that because of my high view of the authority, the infallibility, the inspiration of the Bible that we have. It's just not possible for me. Other people say that Paul was simply naive. I also can't believe that because I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that is responsible and behind our Christian scripture. But I also can't think that Paul was naive. Paul knew that he served a Jesus who had been killed by the Roman government. Paul knew that he served a God who was allowing for persecution to take place even as he writes this. And Paul, not long after this, will march into Jerusalem knowing that there he will be arrested by people in authority and that he will probably not ever see the people he he leaves. Again, you can read it in Acts uh, 20 through 22. He's like, I'm leaving, I know I'll get arrested, I will never see you guys again, but I'm going anyway. To call Paul naive is dumb. It's one of the dumber arguments. And then other people just say he's wrong. It's another way people get around this. I can't believe that either. For one, Paul's just right all the time when we read his words in scripture, he's just right. Uh, But for two, I believe again that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. So it does not allow for me to say he was wrong. So what I want to make clear is first, God gives us government. I'm going to add to that sentence in just a second. But I also want to make this clear. God does not approve of what all governments do. God does not dictate the actions of those governments. And God is at work for good in our world, not for the purpose of evil. You need to remember those three things. If you just say God gives us government, then we say, well, God must not be very good. But what we must remember is that God gives us governments and people are not very good. Now, in case you say, well, wait a minute now. This is one of the arguments. God only gives us 
good government that follows what Paul will says next. Maybe that's the way around it. Maybe if Hillary Clinton gets elected, it's God's way, but not if Donald Trump gets elected. Maybe, just because now half of you are offended, if Donald Trump gets elected, then, then it's God's will, but not if Hillary Clinton gets elected. There's no way. Maybe then. And I would respond in two ways. First, then this passage has absolutely no meaning. Because whoever doesn't like the person in government will always just say, oops, guess God didn't get this one. And two, the person in charge wrapped up when Paul writes this is one of the worst leaders that have ever lived in the history of the world. His name was Nero. Check this out. I'll just read from things I found on the internet. He, speaking of Nero, had his mother stabbed to death for treason. And he had his wife, Octavia, beheaded for adultery. He then had Octavia, his deceased wife, he had her head displayed for his mistress. A mistress that in later years, he would, listen to this now, kick to death while she was pregnant. If God gave that government... He definitely picks our president. Or how about this? Uh, I'll just read. Among other diabolical whims, he ordered that the city of Rome should be set on fire. We are not going to have a president like that. This like, hey, I'm bored. Let's light Washington, D.C. on fire. I mean, like a serious fire that, that ruined people's lives, that killed people, a, a bad, bad fire. And then, and then people are like, I think Nero had something to do with this. I'm not, you can't even make this stuff up. Nero had something to do with this. And so because people, because his ratings went down, because people were like, oh, well, we don't like this guy because he set our houses on fire, then Nero's like, well, I better blame this on somebody else. And so he blames, in large part, the Christians. And by the way, while the city was burning, he had a harp played while he watched psychotic the man was psychotic and then because christians had quotes started the fire he started to persecute them like well my ratings are down people don't like me as much i'll blame the christians and we better make the christians pay so that it looks like they're wrong and i've told you this before in sermons do a couple of just crazy things, but one is, and I just, this part I didn't know, but he would actually, uh, he would put people in wax and then he would use them Christians to light the fires in his gardens. The wax part's the part I didn't know so that they would burn longer or something. And then, and I've said this part before in a different way, but, but he would actually uh, put Christians into animal skins and then sick dogs on them so that they would be mauled to death and here comes Paul Romans 13 1 right into a group of Christians in Rome says hey there is no authority except for that which God has given so be obedient to them as best as you can without rejecting your morality your God given morality in ways now just a little while later a guy named Domitian's going to come along. Domitian is actually worse than Nero. 
We don't have as many specifics, but uh, we know that he was worse, and, and we read a lot about how he persecuted Jewish people, but he also persecuted uh, Christians. And the uh, historian Pliny said this, he said he was the beast from hell who sat in its den licking blood. A lot of Christians, early Christians, some Christians now, they thought that Domitian was the beast that's talked about in the book of Revelation because he was so bad. Just a little detail that just kind of gets you to the heart of Domitian. He liked to catch flies and then stab them with pens. That's nuts, right? If you do that, get help, not me. Get other help. Um, like you have a, a mental problem. And this is terrible. And I really, uh, this, he put gladiators in fights with dwarfs. Yeah, that's bad. It's weird. It's sick. And during his reign, he was suspicious of plots that he, uh, against his, his leadership that he just killed people all the time. Just killed people to stay in power. He declared himself God and then turned around and said, hey, Jews, Christians, you will worship me or you will be killed in terrible ways. And they got that little early manuscript of the Bible and it says, there is no authority except that which God has given. That's weird. James Montgomery Boyce, who wrote like a five or six volume commentary on the book of Romans, uh, just so you cannot blame me for thinking these things. He, he says, there is no ruler anywhere or from any time in history who is not set in his exalted position by God, who is not set in his exalted position by God. Even evil authorities have been established by God. Now, Paul's going to get back on track and say, so as best as you can, without turning your back on God, obey them. He says in verse two, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is pretty straightforward, right? This is a different word. This isn't just lowering yourself underneath and being obedient. This is about rebelling against government. And it will bring judgment upon you if you do so. Now, I don't know where it begins and ends. And we're going to talk about civil disobedience in a few weeks and what that looks like. Because there's at least one instance in the Bible where civil disobedience is seen as a very, very good thing. And, and we can look at history and see some times when people have said, we will not any longer do what the government has told us to do or allow for our government to do what the government has allowed for to happen in our country, and it seems as we look back on those experiences that they have been good things, and so I don't want to say where it begins and ends today. I'll, I'll try to hash that out in a few weeks, but this morning, remember this as we get a new president. In simple, plain language, it says that if you rebel against that authority, you are rebelling against that which God has instituted, and you will bring judgment on yourself. That's bold, right? Don't you want to rebel in just some way? I don't think we have like a bunch of rebellions in, the, in this, you know, like rebels. I mean, you're not like a rebel, but, but in some way, right? 
you just want to go talk bad about the next president or you want to be a jerk about him or you want to pray that he'll die or you're kind of, this is probably real, you're probably secretly hoping they'll get shot if they get elected, you know, because our government will be so bad if, if they're in charge for four years. Just a warning. If you rebel, you'll bring judgment upon yourself. That judgment may come from God or it may come from these rulers because of what we read next. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. We know this, right? I mean, usually if you obey the laws of the land, then you don't go to jail. It's not 100% of the time, obviously. There are times in history when, when people, and there are times right now, not even in history, where people are killed for doing right and doing good. And it doesn't matter if they obey the laws of the land or not, they're still killed. Christians being at the top of that list, right? I mean, governments all over our world want to just kill Christians. There are times when people go to jail even though they haven't disobeyed because they're falsely accused as well. But most of the time... I don't walk around worrying about going to prison. Sometimes I drive around worrying about getting a ticket, and the reason is that I'm not driving the speed limit. I'm not obeying the laws of the land. And that's Paul's point in verse 3. The ruler has tear over you if you disobey the laws of the land, but if you don't, then you do not have to worry. And then verse 4. The most important verse that we're going to read today, especially given our election that's coming up. Verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant, last part, for your good. For your good. God gives government for our good. This is really hard to believe sometimes right? This is really difficult to cling to. It requires a great level of faith, but if you're a Christian, then you should have a great level of faith in your God. And what I want you just to pay attention to, to think about today, is that God gives government and it's for our good. Now, if I'm in Nazi Germany in 1945, I don't know if I'd have enough faith to believe this. I don't know. I'd hope I would, but I don't know. But I hope that we have enough faith to say, okay, it's for our good. Now, there's two sides of this. One is just that government, most of the time, it produces good things for us. It's easy for us to point at the evils of our governments and how corrupt they can be. But let's be honest, for the most part, the government that we have in our country does great things for us. Let me give you some example. You can go to a park. It's nice. You sit there. You can read a book. It has grass. Your kids can play on the equipment. You don't have to buy equipment for your backyard. Play equipment. Because our government has put play equipment into the ground. It's cool. You have roads. Not many of you had to drive through a forest to get here today, I don't think, because our government put roads down. In fact, a missionary that we support has now been in two accidents in their country that have left her pretty injured because the roadways are so terrible. 
In our country, we have a government that does a pretty good job. We go around a little roundabout on the way into our church every week, do we not? Little roundabout. We come on through. Most of the time, people don't collide. There were people on Facebook who were furious because some of the plants had grown too big not long ago, eight months ago or so, and you couldn't see coming off the roundabout. And guess what? Government sent somebody over and chop, chop, the plants were gone. Nobody went out there with the weed whacker. We have police. There's a lot of controversy about police, but we like that they exist most of the time, do we not? We like that they protect us. I don't think most of you feared about getting shot on the way here. When you walked from the parking lot out there to the school, I don't think you were worried about getting mugged. It's because we have a police system. A lot of people use the public education system. I know how to divide because I had teachers that taught me how to divide. Rarely use that skill, but I know how because I had teachers that taught me, that were given to me by our government. Most of you don't think about how you're going to educate your children because it's been supplied for us. There are human resources. The church should be the one helping people, but we've dropped the ball. And so our government helps people. There's a lot less people living on the streets because of what our government does. In Oregon, no homeless person ever really is without food in part because of what our government does. We support foster care here at our church that all goes through government and we try to help government in that because we believe that God has called us to take care of orphans but there are kids who will have a place to sleep tonight because of our government most of the time government gives us good things and it's part of God's grace that exists for all people not just Christians You get to drive on the roads whether you are a Christian or not. In fact, most people don't act like Christians when they do it. You know, I mean, that's the reality. God's given government for those of us who love him and those of us who reject him. It's just part of his gracious nature. But I also believe that this verse is even bigger than just government supplies good things. I think it tells us that no matter who God picks for president. Ultimately, if you're a Christian, God is working that for your good. Romans 8, 28 tells us that in all things, God works good for those who love him. And I believe that what president he gives us, whether it's the right one or the wrong one, the wrong one or the right one, your choice or not, then God is putting that person into power for the good of God. Christians and for the good of his kingdom and that's the most important thing to him you're gonna get past November 6th or 8th November 8th you're gonna get past Tuesday and and you're gonna you're gonna have just a feeling you're gonna feel if you're on the wrong side of this deal like everything is messed up and this is bad and I'm worried and I'm scared but I want you to come back to this Say, this is for my good. This is for my good. Even if it's not the person you like. 
If this verse can be written in the midst of Nero's reign and when the people who may have had the actual letter written down by Paul himself would read it while Domitian was in power, then I can tell you we can take it to the bank. We can believe it that no matter who becomes president, God is working it for our good. And I'll tell you what, when our nation divides in a few days, And some people are flipping out and other people are rejoicing and the flipping out people are mad at the rejoicing people and everybody wants to yell at everybody. If we will get it right, we can be in the middle of it looking just as calm as we were on Monday, looking just as joyful, looking just as peaceful, acting just as positive because we serve a God that has picked our president and he's done it for our good. Now listen to me. Vote for who, the, who you think God wants you to vote for. This does not mean, this is what it doesn't mean, that you be an idiot. God's going to produce his purposes in our country, in our world, in our lives, no matter what. But don't be dumb. It doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility to government. It doesn't mean that you should write in Mickey Mouse when you vote. We still, as individuals, have a responsibility to do what God has called us to do and to do our best, listen to me, to worship God in everything that we do. And I would include in how we vote. It's not about who you like. It's not about who's going to give you more money in your pocket. It's about what you believe God wants you to do. That's who you should vote for. If you want me to make an endorsement, uh, which uh, some of you would love, I'm going to endorse voting for the person that God wants you to vote for. Go get them. Hope they win, you know. But at the end of it, you go, my citizenship is in heaven, and my king, who is king of kings and lord of lords, is the one who will, in fact, be in control on Wednesday just as much as he was on Tuesday. I'm just going to read a little more. uh, Verses 5 through 7, I'm going to read them, and then I'll just talk briefly. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, same idea, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. Notice that. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities. Listen to this word, uh, this phrase, are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. A couple things. First, we're going to talk about respect and honor in just a couple of weeks. Uh, but I'd like you to pay attention to it right now. No matter who becomes our president, you owe them your respect and your honor because God gives government. Not because they're awesome. Not because they're your candidate, not because they're perfect or they'll get it all right or they're your savior. You owe them respect and honor because God gives government. But the other thing I want you to see is that phrase, God's servants. It's actually a phrase that most of the time in the New Testament is used for people that are actively serving God in ministry. And God looks at our president, and he looks at the leaders in our world, he goes, you're my servant to accomplish my will. Now look, 
we're kind of offended by that because we vote right. And if it's not our guy, then it's God against us. You know, I mean, how does that all look? I'm not going to answer that question, but like, you know, like what does that look like? And I'll tell you who else would be offended by this. Probably Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Like, wait a minute. I'm not God's servant. Like, no, uh-uh. I, I'm here to serve the people and our country. And No, but they, they, they are just at the whims of God. They have no power unless like with Pilate killing Jesus has been given to them from above. You know who else would have been really bothered by this? Nero. Nero's like, wait a minute, I, I killed everybody to get my place, man. Like, you should have seen them after I put a knife in them. I did this. God's like, you people, you have no power over me. I sit on my throne in heaven, and I can make you do whatever I want, and I give you freedoms, and they ought not mess it up. They ought to do everything for the will of God, and that's been my prayer, that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump before Tuesday would would be brokenhearted and come to Jesus and live for Jesus. And for four years, no matter what they thought before those four years, for four years, they would do everything that they do for the glory and honor of Jesus. But even if they don't, everything will be worked into the glory and honor of Jesus because they are simply God's servants to produce his will. We who are Christians need to remember that God gives government and that means that God picks our president and that Jesus reigns over all, even evil leaders, not causing their evil, not producing their evil, not taking away their free choices, not happy with their evil, but still over them, allowing that evil hoping they don't do it, I'm sure, but allowing it so that his ends will be met. So this is what I want from you. On Wednesday, when we wake up with a new president-elect, you have tons of joy because God has given us somebody else for our good. The election, Brandon was wrong. We shouldn't be excited when it's over. We should be pumped that it's happening. You know why? Because it's a reminder that God loves us and that God is working for our good. And so you celebrate the next two days, remembering that God is working for our good. And we live in a land where we get a vote and we're not worried too much about the next president compared to people who are being slaughtered because of their government. And we're not worried that our our rights are going to be infringed upon to the point of not having them anymore. And we believe that even next Sunday or in January when we get a new president, that we're still going to be able to gather here and celebrate Jesus together. You celebrate that God's given us our government but you celebrate that God has given us government and you remember that he is the one in control even if it's not your guy. Let me pray. Lord, this passage is not the most likable, God, but I think it's one of the most important for today, this Sunday. Jesus, I, I pray that my words would be received uh, when they are in line with your truth and when they're not, God, I pray that people would forget about them. Lord, I I ask that, that this week, God, 
your children would stand out for our goodness, God, maybe more than any other week. Because we have joy that goes far beyond who's in control. All the passages written about joy in the Bible were, not all, but most of them were written in times where government was horrible. And we live here in the United States of America where we get a cast a vote for who will be president. And there's checks and balances. And our freedoms, God, are for the most part, still guaranteed no matter who is elected. Lord, let us take our vote seriously. Let us pray seriously. But God, when it all comes down to the end, I pray that we would celebrate you and the fact that you give us government for our good, even when that government is evil. These people have no power, Lord unless it's been given by you. Lord, um, I just pray your Holy Spirit would move in us this week and help us to do right. Let us give to Caesar what is Caesar's, to you what is yours, and let us not give to Caesar what is yours. Our hope, our trust, our devotion, our passion, let it all be given to you, Lord, and let us find our joy in you. I'm going to ask you guys to put your hands up, and this is, this is I'm hoping everybody's hands go up. It doesn't always go that way, uh, but I don't usually hope for everybody's hands, uh, but today I do. If you'll make me a promise, and you'll promise in front of God above uh, to wake up Wednesday morning no matter what, joyful and hopeful and peaceful because you know that our God is in control, will you put your hand up nice and high in the air? Uh, makes some of us in this country. Lord, I thank you for those hands, and I pray we would live that out. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all you've done for us. In your holy name, amen.